G'day wrestling fans, just a quick little disclaimer here. As we were recording the show, Alex was unaware that he was having technical difficulties on his end. We apologise for these technical difficulties, but hope you enjoy the show. G'day humans, what's a good word? Another edition of Wrestling Oz Style here with Chris Funderhog and Alex Rudy Williams. Alex, how the bloody hell are ya? Wow. <laughs> This is different. I love it. I'm doing good, man. Um, I'm in a lovely, lovely state of lockdown, and soon you and our listeners will be too. Yes, yes. Another one of your choices, TNA Lockdown 2009. I have not picked a single good show, I don't think. <laughs> Sometimes the best reviews are the bad shows. Oh, yeah. And I am admittedly a fan of the worst of wrestling. This whole uh, pay-per-view concept definitely is right up there, <laughs> as I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the night. I don't know, it's not as bad as as naming a pay-per-view Fatal 4-Way and having every match be a Fatal 4-Way match. Or Great Balls of Fire, where the logo looks suspiciously similar to... Uh, Anyway, um, yeah, so I suppose we should let the listeners know why you chose this. <laughs> what is my reasoning? Good question. <laughs> well, two reasons. Me as a Victorian just got put into lockdown, and I thought, let's review a TNA lockdown. And the second reason lockdown is... In full for free on YouTube. So we might as well. And I was definitely following the TNA product at this time. So I was, it actually was a bit of nostalgia to see some of these characters that I haven't thought about in years, like Sheikh Abdul Bashir and Kiyoshi and um, Taylor. So, yeah, I'm. I actually enjoyed my experience watching this for nostalgia reasons, but we'll get more in-depth to that later. Yeah, and then I suppose the, the next thing I should ask is, did you watch this live, or were the TNA pay-per-views still like on a two-week delay at that time in Australia? I did not watch this live. I did not watch this particular pay-per-view at all, I don't think, but I was definitely watching Impact at the time. Yeah, yeah. So do you remember what station Impact was airing on at the time? The channel was, but it was like a channel and I've never watched again on pay TV. But yeah, I think this was still on Fox 8 at the time. Yeah, I think that's about the, the right time frame for that. So I suppose without further ado, we should sort of move into the event itself. Oh boy. <laughs> the whole event, as you said, is up available for free on YouTube, it's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the USA. Commentary is Mike Tanay and Don West. Now, this commentary team I absolutely enjoy with this sort of era, late 2000s, early 2010s of TNA. Yeah, definitely. A very excitable commentary team. The pre-show matches available separately, also free on the YouTube. It is a cage match. As is every match tonight. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, we'll get there, but jeez. So it is Showtime Eric Young versus Danny Bonaducci. 
Now, were you aware of who Danny Bonaducci was before watching this? No. As soon as I saw his face, I have seen him in other, like, reality sort of TV shows. Yeah, I remember probably just before this time, there was some, like, reality show on VH1, and it had, like, a whole heap of, like, C-list celebrities from the 80s and 90s on there and that was pretty much my introduction to Danny Bonaducci and he was like quite a controversial character on that TV on that reality show yeah boy they are scraping the barrel for celebrities on this one he's most famous for his time as a former child star on the Partridge family wrestling fans might know him from his time with WCW in 1994 including a dark match with the former child star Christopher Knight of the Brady Bunch Bizarre. What what a strange time. Early 90s WCW is quite an interesting thing. Perhaps one day we'll get to discuss some of it. Perhaps. Reality TV fans may also recognise him from an incident with Survivor's Johnny Fairplay during the 2007 Fox Reality TV Awards. Yeah, there was definitely a bit of an incident there which sort of led to Johnny Fairplay being blackballed from ever coming back on Survivor. Yeah, that's sort of happened there. As Bonaducci's making his entrance, he actually attacks Johnny Fairplay, who's sitting ringside. I was always under the impression that um, Bonaducci Fairplay thing was a bit of a work. Well, I suppose... Any news may be good news for those guys. Yeah, especially when he's so low on the totem pole of celebrities. The match stems from EY slapping Danny in the weeks before the pay-per-view. During the match, Danny goes to the top rope and lands what appeared to be similar to a rolling thunder off the top rope, but gets a two count. Danny goes to use his nunchucks, but EY dodges, grabs Danny and rolls him into a small package, and Eric Young pins Danny... Bonaduce after four minutes. Post-match, there's a sign of respect, but it's a trap. Danny chokes EY with the nunchucks, and Rhino runs down and gores Danny as the segment ends with EY and Rhino standing tall in the ring. How did Bonaduce look in the ring? Full disclosure, I didn't actually watch this match. Um, I had more than enough TNA that I could handle. Yeah, I suppose as, as good as a celebrity can look in there, he looked passable. Oh, very good, very good. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this show, hey? So we go on to the pay-per-view. Starts with footage of Team Jared and Team Angle arriving in the car park earlier today for their lethal lockdown match tonight. There's then footage of Team 3D on the rocky steps talking about their 13-year journey. Pretty good start. Yeah, I like this. I like the um, Team 3D on the rocky steps because Philadelphia, of course, the ECW connection. Really good tie-in there, I thought. Yeah, I thought it was a good bit of imagery to start off the show. Uh, I really enjoy Team 3D's promo here. And starting off a TNA show with the image of the IWGP tag titles, it's a bit of a trip. Then we go on to the main event of this opener. It is a video of future TNA president, Mr. William Corgan, in the Six Sides of Steel. Yeah, this was ridiculous. This was, um, this was also a very weird visual. Yeah, I, I really... <laughs> I just found it funny knowing what happens in the future to this man in this company. And then there's a um, big uh, montage hype video with Smashing Pumpkins, Bullet with 
butterfly wings playing underneath, advertising all the big matches coming up tonight. Absolutely perfect theme song for this sort of pay-per-view. An absolute banger of a tune. Yeah, I loved this, actually. Yeah, so from there we go on to the second match of the night. It is the first on the pay-per-view. It's an escape match. TNA X Division Championship on the line. Suicide, the champion defending against Consequences Creed, Kayashi, Black Machismo, Jay Lethal, and Sheikh Abdul Bashir. Now, the rules are as follows. Eliminations occur after pinfall or submission until there are two men left and they escape the cage to win. Yeah. Um, this was... Ugh. This whole concept of the match was very flawed. I hated it. But the talent outweighed the horrible stipulation that this match had. The four challenges both being two teams of two, so they're working with each other, trying to save their, their tag partners. So that's why pins are getting broken up. That makes sense. I feel bad for the person under the suicide hood who had to do double duty this particular night in lengthy matches in a cage. You know who was suicide at this point in time? Hasn't just on everyone been suicide in that company at one point? So I had to do a bit of research to figure out who it was at this point in time, and it, it was Daniels. The fallen angel? He had a very busy night. So just before this, Frankie Kazarian was suicide. But Kazarian got injured and then Daniels had to quickly come in and replace Kazarian as suicide. Okay, that makes the, the outcome of this a bit more confusing. We'll get there in a sec. So first elimination, Jay Lethal pins Kayashi to eliminate him. Next, Sheikh Abdul-Bashir pins Consequences Creed, then quickly pins Jay Lethal. So we're down to the final two, Sheikh Abdul-Bashir and Suicide. And Suicide climbs to the top of the cage, makes a dive on the outside to Kiyoshi and a bunch of officials, hits the ground first as Sheik is trying to escape through the cage door and retains the title. Yeah, a very good match. I actually was a bit of a fan of Kiyoshi around this time period. He was sort of like a X-Division version of a Great Muda sort of thing. There are some problematic tendencies around his character, like, you know, the stereotypical font and music, and we'll probably get a little bit more of that later on too. But I thought Kyoshi was really good here. The future Xavier Woods consequences Creed looked good. Yeah, it's crazy to see where some of these guys end up going and where some of these guys don't end up going. So you've got Creed, who's now Xavier Woods in WWE. The suicide you said at the time was Daniels, who's now in AEW. Black Machismo, Jay Lethal, who's still with Ring of Honor. The former Sean Davari, uh, Sheikh Abdul, just before this was... The great Carly and the WWE. Like I said, I feel like one of the probably the biggest standout for this match was Kiyoshi, and honestly, he hasn't done anything since from the looks of his Wikipedia. Like he's done stuff, but like nothing of note really. So the guy I thought would be one of the next breakouts at the time, but it just ultimately went nowhere. Have to agree, looking at this, he sort of appears to have done nothing of note internationally 
since this. Um, backstage, there was a quick interview with AJ and Daniels hyping up the Lethal Lockdown match. Then match number three, it is a cage match for the Queen of the Cage. ODB with Cody Dina versus Daphne versus Madison Rain versus Sojourner Bolt. Oh, boy. This match. Yeah, this this was what it was. Under 10-minute match. Do you have much to say before I read out the result? Very sloppy. A bit of a cluster F. I was very high on Daphne at the time and Madison Rain. Um, Madison Rain would end up... Well, she still is part of Impact and have a very illustrious career over there. And this was towards the end of Daphne's career in general, but she looked pretty good here herself. Yeah, this was a bit a bit clunky and a bit all over the place. Yeah, so over DB, pins Sojourner Bolt after six minutes for the victory. Uh, post-match, she celebrates in ring with Cody Dina who's now a member on uh, WrestleHouse. Yes, with his cousin Jake Dina, and you love that stuff. Me so much. <laughs> 30 minutes into the show, and Tanae and West decide to start running down tonight's card. Which, I mean, one, you're already half an hour into the show, but two, the bigger problem is, it's on pay-per-view. You should not have already brought the show and know what you're getting. Yeah, and you're pretty much just like by running down the night's card is just saying, oh, don't worry about what you've already seen. This is the real important stuff. Don't worry about those other two or three matches. They didn't mean anything. They then cut to the car park where Jeff Jarrett is shown arriving. Fourth match of the night. It is a cage match for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. The Motor City Machine Guns... Alex Shelley and Chris Saban are the champions versus the Latin American exchange team of Hernandez and Homicide versus No Limit, Naito and Yujiro representing Chaos from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, this is another reason why I picked this because I know how much of a New Japan, much of a Naito fan you are to see Naito huge in TNA is... It's a very interesting visual. Commentary keeps referring to the IWGP championships as the New Japan Championships, which I found weird because on their graphic they show before the match they still have the letters IWGP. With a stereotypical Asian font, if you didn't notice. Yeah. Tanae actually mentions on commentary at one point, I don't think Big Hernandez will ever be confused for a junior heavyweight. And it's just like, um, okay, then why is he allowed to challenge for these titles? Positive, this wasn't a title match, but then the graphic came up. Oh, it's so confusing. But this is why New Japan had a fallout with TNA. It's no wonder because of silly booking like this. So the rules are as follows. It's a tornado match. Victory occurs after pinfall submission. Good little match for what it was in the cage. Goes about 12 minutes with Chris Saban pinning Naito to retain the titles. Do you have anything to add there, Alex? So I had no idea Naito was ever a part of Chaos. This was mind-blowing to me. This time period of TNA was sort of my introduction to New Japan in a way. Like, they actually educated me on the IWGP titles and all that sort of stuff. I never really knew about those things 
this time period with their working relationship with New Japan. So this was sort of like my gateway into eventually one day becoming a New Japan fan, which is so weird. But yeah. Yeah, and I suppose to to also mention like I wasn't watching the time when TNA and New Japan had their partnership. So for me, first exposure to New Japan was through Ring of Honor in the US and Ring of Honor's YouTube and then their on-demand service for their weekly shows, then fight for pay-per-views and then Honor Club. Yeah, around this time period in TNA, like, no... So, like, I, I do definitely remember this tag team, but in hindsight, I had no idea, like, like what would become of, well... Naito in particular. It's just crazy just thinking about him in this role. Yeah, absolutely. There's a quick backstage interview with Abyss before the fifth match of the night, a Doomsday Chamber of Blood match. The blueprint, Matt Morgan versus Abyss. The rule here is your opponent needs to be bleeding before you can pin them. So dumb. Uh, Yes, I agree. It's... It's a basic hardcore match. At one point, DV pulls out glass shards. Abyss is busted open early and bleeding. Matt Morgan goes for a bunch of covers, but only gets two count. He climbs the ropes, goes for a diving cross body, but takes down the ref. Abyss, as the ref is down, grabs the shards of glass and smashes it into Matt's head, who is now bleeding. A second ref gets in and does a two count for Abyss. Dr. Stevie is now ringside. Abyss is distracted, walks into the carbon footprint from Matt Morgan, who gets a two count. Dr. Stevie climbs into the ring, attacks Abyss, and Matt Morgan gets a pinfall victory on Abyss after 12 minutes. Yeah, so they don't really give you a proper understanding, but they'd been building up for quite a while now that Abyss had been seeing a doctor to recover from his violence addiction and all that sort of stuff, and this was the big reveal of who the doctor was. This is pretty cool to see Stevie here. I I was a fan of Abyss around this time, and I always thought Matt Morgan was going to end up being the next big thing, but this match wasn't it. Yeah, this this. by the time you've already seen five cage matches and there's not really much more you can, can do, as we'll find out throughout the rest of the night, to differ yourself from everyone else. Oh, there's a couple of things you can do, but we'll get there. Interview JB is talking to T. Jeff Jarrett. This was where we get to see the best version of Samoa Joe. Yes. <laughs> He's talking to Jarrett. Jarrett goes to walk out of the room and Joe walks in and just sort of stares down with him for a brief moment. <laughs> this is uh, the version of Samoa Joe who wears MC Hammer pants and has a phallic-looking tattoo on his face. Yes, not that I'd say it to the man's face, but... um, (laughs) Indeed. Where they're like, Hey, Samoa Joe, you're not Samoan enough. Let's tattoo that face. Yeah, that that was a bit weird, but I suppose there's been plenty of cases of that through wrestling anyway. We go forward to match number six of the night. Another cage match. Surprise, surprise. This time it's for the TNA Women's Knockout Championship. Awesome Kong, the champion with Rashid Saeed versus Angelina Love with Velvet Sky in her corner. 
versus Taylor Wilde. Um, at one point, Angelina pushes Kong into the side of the cage, and Angelina and Velvet tie Kong's hair through the cage so she's stuck to the cage. And Angelina ends up pinning Taylor Wilde after seven minutes. Yeah, I actually, um, I've, I don't know about you, but I actually enjoyed this match. It was a bit cluster effy, and, but the finish I actually thought was pretty good. I just remember this was one of those matches where I, I definitely had rose-coloured lenses on, you know, because I was really nostalgic for this era of the knockouts division, seeing Awesome Kong out there and seeing the beautiful people at their at their prime, at their peak, and seeing Taylor Wilde, that, who I completely forgot ever existed. So at this time, where was Gal? Was she with WWE at this time? A on-screen relationship with Daniel Bryan, I think. I think at this time she's just returned to the WWE and feuding with Lay Cool. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so they pretty much brought in Taylor Wilde to be a, a pretty much just a blonde replacement for Gail Kim to feud with Awesome Kong. One of the first Impact episodes I watched was like the debut of Taylor Wilde and it was the best thing ever. Like, they were doing a thing every week where Raisha Saeed would challenge any audience member to, to to face her awesome Kong and one week they bring in this Taylor Wilde chick and she gives awesome Kong a run for her money. Pretty cool little angle. And, yeah, I forgot how much I was a massive fan of Taylor Wilde. For the time compared to what the WWE was doing, the Knockouts division was miles ahead. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Taylor Wilde, one of those things where it's just like, wow, what what happened to her? Like, didn't she become, like, a massive superstar? But she didn't, and... um. I think she ended up having a pretty good career outside of wrestling. So I guess sometimes you got to remember wrestling isn't everything, but she um, she definitely had all the potential to be something big in my eyes. From there, there's a interview on the concourse with Team 3D drinking beers with the fans before their match. Well, it's Philly, baby. What else are you going to do? Or as... Brother Ray says, it's a jungle, baby. You're going to die. <laughs> I actually, um, yeah, they, they were fantastic here. And um, I don't think I've mentioned it so far, but the crowd for this whole show was hot. It was hot as hell. I guess looking at it with 2020 eyes where I'm not even used to seeing a crowd anymore, it was just like mind-blowing seeing such a rowdy crowd. Yeah, especially for like a, a TNA show as well. You don't, you sort of just think of them being stuck in the impact zone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, this is just before TNA starts to hit its uh, downward trajectory. We're about eight months off from the Hogan Bischoff era coming in and then the Nasty Boys. So this is pretty much like. Towards the end of the absolute peak of TNA for my liking, anyway. 
you can sort of see the companies on the way up. They're building around these younger guys, and then <laughs> January 4th, 2010 happens. Yeah, let's bring in the nasty boys and Val Venus. <laughs> so match number seven is your Philadelphia street fight for both the TNA and IWGP Tag Team Championships. It is Beer Money, James Storm and Robert Roode, the TNA World Tag Team Champions, versus Team 3D, Brother Devon and Brother Ray, the IWGP Tag Team Champions. Um, Beer Money enters first, and then Team 3D enter through the crowd. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, Obviously, Team 3D were like gods to this crowd. This was like the one match they got their money's worth just by paying their ticket to come see. Yeah, definitely. So the action starts in the ring before spilling out. They go into the crowd. Um, They ball up and down the stairway, back into the ring, begin with plunder on the outside, including tables, where Beer Money puts Devon for a table on the outside. Back in the ring, there's a top rope Bubba Bomb from Brother Ray to Bobby Roode. Fans champ for tables and... Team 3D goes, get the tables. (laughs) They set up a second table in the ring and Bobby goes to throw Brother Devon through the cage door, but Storm slams the door onto Rude by mistake. 3D throw Rude through the table and Brother Ray pins Robert Rude after 15 minutes. Yeah, I I loved this batch, actually. I thought it was really fun, uh, really good. Two of the best tag teams of all time. Yeah, I'm not just saying the Dudleys are one of the best. I think Beer Money are criminally underrated in the greatest tag teams of all time. I'd have to agree there as well. So it's mentioned on commentary they are 22-time world tag team champions at this stage. Eight-time ECW champs, two-time IWGP, one-time NWA, under TNA, two-time TNA, one-time WCW under the WWE, eight-time WWE, and then they'd return to WWE less than a decade later and become the Raw champs one time. Yeah. <laughs> what a career, hey? Like, like, just insane. You look at that and the only two sort of major North American promotions they've never held gold in or under that name is Ring of Honor and AEW. There's still time. You can never rule out the Dudley boys, man. You never know what'll happen. I think this is the point where we can have a bit of a discussion about the TNA New Japan relationship. Now, what do you know about where this relationship goes? Um, <laughs> okay, though. Oh, uh, we get a bit of that. Yeah, we're, we're actually really close to that happening from my memory, because it is uh, tattooed Samoa Joe that has Okado by his side. The falling out of TNA's relationship with New Japan all stems from how TNA was creatively booking their champions and their titles. We saw one instance of them uh, doing the IWGP junior titles wrong by booking a heavyweight to challenge for it which you obviously mentioned 
Now, yeah. do you know what else happens that caused a creative difference? No, not. No, I can't think of anything. Um, Team 3D eventually drop the IWGP tag team titles to the British Invasion, Doug Williams and um, a young Magnus, Nick Aldis, on Impact. Brutus Magnus. Yes. And um, New Japan had no idea. They did not inform New Japan that they were going to put the titles onto these two TNA guys. So New Japan were very upset. Oh, so they did like both titles onto these new guys and didn't tell New Japan they were also winning the IWGP titles. No, so um, they did a match where the Dudleys were in like a triple threat or something and it was like two out of three falls and the first fall was like for the TNA titles, the second fall was for the IWGP titles and I think Beer Money got back the TNA titles and British Invasion won the IWGP titles. And... New Japan was pissed because, well, they wanted Team 3D to have a lengthy run with those titles, and they never had any intentions on booking the British Invasion. And when this happened, this was very close to January 4th. Jeez. Um... So they, I think at the time, Kurt Angle was IWGP champion as well, so... At that January 4th Tokyo Dome, just before then, uh, TNA eventually made the switch and put the IWGP tag titles on um, Team 3D again. And then at January 4th at the Tokyo Dome, you saw a lot of TNA guys lose titles to New Japan guys, and that was it. So they basically said, <laughs> that's that. Yeah, they're just like, and that was the end of the TNA New Japan working relationship. Oh my gosh. Yes, you're right. I'm looking at this now as we speak. So they won it at Wrestle Kingdom the previous year. They lose to British Invasion in July on Impact, who hold it for 89 days before losing it back to Team 3D in October at Bound for Glory and then lose it to No Limit at Wrestle Kingdom the next year. Wow. I'm fairly certain that that particular Wrestle Kingdom had a decent amount of TNA talent, but not many TNA victories. Oh, man. That's, yeah. I've, I was not aware of them taking the, the titles off them to a team... They didn't know was happening. Yeah, so apparently the original plans were for Team 3D to have, like, a really long, like, continuous run with IWGP tag titles. And, like, I'm not just talking, like, a one-year reign, like, longer than even that. But (laughs) TNA just decides, nah, let's stop that reign. We've got to get Brutus Magnus over. yeah. Brutus Magnus is the best, with his Spartan helmet and his Roman gladiator leather skirt. Oh, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, th- so this is just one of those things where you just got to shake your head, have a bit of a chuckle and think, ah, oh, that's so TNA. <laughs> why would you do that? Like, why, why wouldn't you put the, the TNA titles on those guys and then have, have them retain the IWGP? Yeah, they eventually do. And I might even be wrong, but I think I'm right in assuming that, like, the same night or, like, within a week after losing the IWGP tag titles, the British Invasion end up winning the TNA titles. So why couldn't you have just done that to begin with? Well, geez, that's bad. And then New Japan are like, all right, give us Okada back, you idiots. Don't you mean Okado? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we got to talk about that again one day, but... I'll have to find a show that is on. Uh, I'm actually genuinely curious about going back and watching an Okado match or something. Oh, like, you think him and Joe against Beer Money would be a great match? It's just in hindsight knowing where this guy's positioned in world wrestling now. Dude, like... They had Okada and AJ Styles in the same company. Naito? Yeah, and Naito. Yujiro? <laughs> uh, honestly, this might have been my favourite version of Yujiro just by default. But he comes out with Peter. I'll <laughs> <laughs> Pete. Good old Pete. <laughs> uh, Not even the best Peter I know. So from there, I suppose we should move on a little. Uh JB has a backstage interview with the main event, main event mafia, including Booker T turning up late and Skyner and Nash getting up to say hello to him in the background. Man, I cannot like stress enough. Like this time period, like I loved the main event mafia, loved them. Yeah, had like the old like wizard in Kevin Nash in the background giving advice to Kurt Angle, and he's like before his matches and with everything like that he was like the old veteran that you come to for advice and then you had then you had Booker T who was like doing weird like Jamaican accents from time to time just being out there and crazy and then you go to another level with Scott Steiner which um this eventually leads to my favorite version of Scott Steiner which is like Two years later, Scott Steiner, who's still walking around in main event mafia clothes, like saying, yeah, we're going to get the mafia back together. The mafia is still a thing. Don't worry about that. The main event mafia runs TNA. And like everyone else is like, dude, the main event mafia like doesn't exist anymore. He's like, are they still together? Kevin Nash isn't even in the company anymore. Booker T just showed up at the Rumble. (laughs) 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 We're still together. (laughs) Like, Uh, it leads to, like, the best version of Scott Steiner, and that is Scott Steiner in denial over the demise of the Mafia. Super skinny Kurt Angle, which is a weird sight. And you got Sting, who was like, who had like a really interesting role in this group as a baby face, but 
he was a part of a heel stable and he was constantly torn between being a bad or a good guy. I loved the, I loved this stable. So from there we go on to match number eight of the night. The co-main event is a lethal lockdown match. Now, much like you were saying the other week where there's six sides of steel and the roof lowers, this, I suppose, would be very similar to a War Games concept with um, staggered entrances, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, like every couple of minutes, yeah. You start off with two people, every couple of minutes you get a new entrant. The match properly starts when everyone's entered, except this time they lower a cage that has a heap of weapons stuck to the roof. Yeah, that was a bit weird. You know exactly what that's like? What? ECW, December to Dismember, Extreme Elimination Chamber. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Hey, well, who won that chamber? Yeah, we'll get there shortly. (laughs) There might be more of a correlation than I thought about. (laughs) So, is the two teams, Team Angle with... Kurt Angle as captain, Booker T, Kevin Nash, and Scott Steiner with Charmel in their corner versus Team Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Samoa Joe. First enter is Kurt Angle, then Christopher Daniels. The match starts five minutes past, then next is Booker T. The remaining intervals are two minutes, so next is AJ Styles, then Scott Steiner, then Samoa Joe, who receives a mystery instruction from someone behind a curtain before entering. Then Kevin Nash enters, who fights Samoa Joe on the outside before entering the ring. And last winter is Jeff Jarrett. Once everyone is inside the ring, the lights dim and a roof with weapons lowers from the ceiling. Kurt and AJ brawl, they bust through the roof and brawl on top of the roof. Kurt climbs back into the ring, but AJ dives off the roof into the ring. Uh, Closing stages, Jared unhooks his guitar from the roof and does the guitar shot on Booker T and AJ Style pins Booker T after 23 minutes. What were your your first thoughts on this match? Good. I actually really enjoyed this. you got to think this is... Last War Games would have been, what, 2000-ish? Yeah. Like, there was a couple of indie promotions who'd do it, like uh, MLW had the rights for a number of years to the War Games name. But this would be the closest mainstream wrestling fans would see until, what, 2017, 2018? Yeah, the last WCW War Games was actually in 98, as far as traditional War Games is concerned. But, yeah... Uh, they did variations of war games in a triple cage in 2000, but um, as far as traditional war games with the staggered entrances and all that sort of stuff, yeah, it was 98. Yeah, so I thought this uh, ha- starting the match with Christopher Daniels was a bit of a shock. I I was fully expecting AJ and Kurt to be the Iron Men in this match. Daniels is a great wrestler as is kurt daniels looked fantastic in this i thought um rocking that that chopper reed mustache <laughs> rocking the full handlebars uh yeah it's just weird thinking like 
where these guys' careers would go and all that sort of stuff. Um, I thought Scott Steiner, of all people, like looked fairly decent in this match, considering how disadvantaged he was at the time, like in terms of mobility and that, him coming in and just like suplexing the heck out of AJ and Daniels as soon as he comes in, like that that looked fantastic. He looked really good, as did Joe and Jeff Jarrett as well. Do you recall where the Samoa Joe advisor thing would lead? No. Not off the top of my head. Have a guess. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you a hint. Uh, Brian Cage. Oh, um, it's Taz. <laughs> it's Taz. Um, yeah. So this would lead to the. I think the next pay per view would be the debut of Taz as Samoa Joe's advisor. So, um, who can stop the path of Joe? Which. At the time, I thought was going to be a really good pairing, but they sort of gave up on it. Um, which, but it would eventually lead to the Mike Tanay and Taz commentary team that I think is actually pretty decent if you look back on it. But yeah, I, I completely forgot all about this whole Taz coming in as Joe's advisor thing until I saw this and everything started flooding back. Uh, yeah, so. But there's more to talk about with this match, isn't there? Speaking of things flooding back, um, somebody's making their Impact debut. It is Bobby Lashley. What I loved here is just, like, Bobby Lashley coming out and then Kurt Angle, like, laughing and, like, clapping his hands as if Bobby Lashley's coming out to join the main event mafia. But you see um, Scott Steiner in the background, like, yell at Kurt, is he ours? Is he ours? Is he with us? Huh? Huh? And Kurt's just like, yeah, yeah. And Scott just goes, all right, all right, yeah. Scott Steiner just being like overly enthusiastic and just like Scott Steiner's just fantastic here through this. Obviously what ends up happening is Lashley doesn't join the main event mafia and we get a I think it was like a two to three month feud between Bobby Lashley and Scott Steiner, which led to some particularly horrible matches. Aww. Until Lashley uh, quit TNA pretty much as soon as Hogan and Bischoff came in. So did he quit, go and start doing MMA, and then come back a few years later after they left? Yeah, it's pretty much how it worked out, yeah. This run was a very short run from Lashley. I thought as soon as I seen him on the stage, he was there until he quit a few years ago and came back to WWE. But yeah, you saying that as soon as Bischoff and Hogan turned up, he quit, that, that sort of surprises me. Yeah, that, he had a very short run. I think um, I think there was a bit of a few with Joe and then, then he's out of there. So from there, I suppose it's time to talk about the main event of the night. Yeah, um, I, I have very fond and nostalgic memories of the promos leading up to this, and I completely forgot all about it until I saw this highlight package of it all. Like Mick Foley doing a sit-down interview in the middle of the ring 
with Cactus Jack and he's just jumping back and forth between chairs. Oh, it's hilarious. So prior to the match, there's a backstage interview with Sting and then it's shown that JB is interviewing Mick Foley. Match number nine on your nine-card match is also a cage match. There's a slight tweak to this one. Yes, it is for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship and Mick Foley has declared that the cage door will be slammed shut and locked. And Mick Foley declares that the winner of this match can be determined by escaping the cage. Yes, indeed. Sorry. Um, so it is Sting, the champion, versus Mick Foley, who is also a TNA executive shareholder. <laughs> um, do you know anything about this? I'm a bit dusty on like how this actually happened, but... Pretty much the main event Mafia running wild and Jeff Jarrett lost a portion of his stock in TNA to the main event Mafia. But then the big reveal is, but I didn't lose all my stock because I sold some of it before you could take it. And uh, it's eventually revealed that Mick Foley is the surprise TNA debut and he bought some of this stock from the consortium and the consortium was me. Woo. As Ric Flair would say in 2001, but um, yes. Yeah, so then you had sort of Mick Foley and Jeff Jarrett as babyface authority figures, whilst the main event mafia also had like authority for their own matches. And those two sort of would clash from time to time. Okay. Uh, very convoluted and kind of crappy. It's sort of similar to the um, the WCW we were talking about recently on the Thunder, how Ernest the Cat Miller and Mike Sanders are both challenging to be commissioner. Uh, that's enough Mike Sanders talk on our podcast, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Mike Awesome was awesome on that show. He was great, wasn't he? Yeah. Mick makes his entrance and he has Barbie with him but one of the referees takes it off him and the cage door is locked. At one stage, Mick demands the referee to unlock the door, but he attacks the ref, then tries to flee by climbing through the camera hole after he drop-kicked the cameraman. He can't get through, but grabs Barbie from a podium next to the hole and pulls it inside to attack Sting. Sting is down as Foley climbs up the side of the cage and Sting quickly climbs up. The two men are over the top, Mick drops to the ground and escapes first after 15 minutes. Mick is laying on the ground staring at the title as Sting leaves by walking up the ramp and the two referees help Mick to his feet as he poses by the cage as they go off the air. Ladies and gentlemen, it is professional wrestling. It is the year 2009 and your world champion is Mick Foley. (laughs) That's going to put the bums in the seats. Oh man! Imagine if, like, yeah, they did. They did Michael Cole on Raw the next night. <laughs> We've just received word that Mick Foley has won the TNA World Championship at Lockdown. Yeah, that'll put butts in seats, and that, and that'll be the opening chapter of the rise and fall of WWE as they lose the war to TNA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What an alternate timeline that would have been. 
<laughs> yeah, this is Mick Foley just over nine years after his retirement match in the Hell in a Cell to Triple H, winning a world title. I think this was like four years after his last WWE match to um, Randy Orton. This is six months after Mick Foley was a full-time commentator on SmackDown, and he is the TNA world champion. I love Mick Foley, don't get me wrong. Listen to Fruity's Ultimate Game Show. Listen to how well I'm booking him. I am a huge Mick Foley fan. But this just wasn't it, man. Not Not in this era. Not with this roster. He couldn't really move well around the ring towards halfway through the match, and it just sort of was stuck in second gear, the match. Like, these two guys, what was it, in 1992, were fighting for the world championship all those years ago, almost 20 years prior to this. And here they are, all those years later. Oh, man, this was heartbreaking to watch. But I remember at the time, like, this was as close to me ever purchasing a TNA pay-per-view because of the build-up to this match. The promos were insane. Like, Mick Foley was on another level with his promos leading up to this. But then the bell rings. And you're reminded these guys, they're not quite what they used to be. Yeah, sadly. Like, what, about seven, five, seven years later, they have the Mick Foley as GM on Raw and Daniel Bryan's GM on SmackDown. They have that backstage interview and Daniel goes, talk to me about passion. What do you do when you got fired from WWE? You went to TNA to wrestle. <laughs> yeah, that was great, actually. I forgot all about that. Although, this wasn't... Like, this was not going to be a long title run. I think um, Kurt Angle would eventually get the title off Mick Foley. A few months later, there actually ended up being a pretty decent match with Mick Foley at Bound for Glory against Abyss in a Monsters Ball match. So, not the best match of his run, but we eventually get a half-decent, quote-unquote, dream match out of this run, at least. Jeez, Abyss, imagine what he could do today, if only. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I suppose from there, do you have any positives you'd like to run off the top, seeing how this was your choice? Yeah, um, I really didn't touch on it enough, but... um, Motor City Machine Guns, man. These dudes could have been the Young Bucks before the Young Bucks were a thing, right? Like, these guys are just as good, if not better, than the Young Bucks. Oh, absolutely. Like, this tag team division is actually quite stacked at the time. You got the Machine Guns. You got LAX, who were over as hell. And Homicide and Hernandez are nothing to... Nothing I overlook at the time. Like, these guys were fantastic. You got Beer Money, Team 3D, then, like, lower down, you still got Lethal Consequences at the time, Jay Lethal and Consequences Creed. Like, this is a really good tag division. And also, like, within the next couple of months, we're bringing in a new tag team called Generation Me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
sleep deprived me mentioned that a number of times on our last episode. Yes, yes. Uh, Max and Jeremy Buck, Generation Me. Not to be confused with a Pat Buck on Raw. <laughs> but yes, the future young Bucks are soon to come into TNA and um, yeah. Man, did they drop the ball with this tag division because this was stacked. I think we're either not too far removed or not too far away from the infamous, like, best out of seven tag team series with beer money and Motor City machine guns. If you ever get a chance, check out any of those matches. Man, the machine guns were just another level at this time. And, like, it just really like really adds to my love for them coming back to impact wrestling yeah i i've always been a fan of the machine guns i like their work in the past in ring of honor and over in new japan i would have liked them to have gone maybe back to ring of honor to try to get more dates in new japan if and when that can happen or even try their luck in aew but i guess Impact made them an offer they couldn't refuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, imagine, like, the mach- the machine guns being in that a- AEW tag division. Guns and FTR? Guns and FTR, jeez. Guns and, yeah, even guns and Omega and Hangman or guns and Santana and Ortiz and all that sort of options. Might actually have been a good decision for them to go to an Impact Wrestling where they can pretty much be the most featured tag team instead of being one of many extremely talented tag teams in this extremely bloated tag division at AEW. Not being able to travel at the moment. The AEW roster's sort of stuck in a holding position for a lot of their feuds. You've seen it with... um. Hikaru, where the top challengers either are stuck overseas uh, on the injured list or can't um, can't attend shows for either personal reasons or health concerns. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I suppose if you don't have any other positives, I'll list off some of mine. Oh, I'll just, I'll just quick, quickly just like uh, the knockouts division at the time was... Firing on all cylinders. I've really enjoyed Lethal Lockdown. Um, my main thing was just like, look at this roster, man. Like, this is an extremely talented roster that would all go on to bigger and better things. Like, it's just a testament to how TNA just drops the ball. Yeah, yeah, sadly. Um, I enjoyed the team of... Mike Tanay and Don West. I think it's a lot better than the current team they have calling Impact. Oh, you mean the married couple that have no chemistry? Yeah, that have no on-air chemistry. <laughs> yeah, just insane. Uh, Josh Matthews there didn't do himself any favours picking random Twitter fights with fans. So <laughs> the majority of the in-ring wrestling on here was really good and... Uh, we mentioned this before, but seeing so many of the lower card people on this show who'd go on to be in featured spots today, like Daniels, um, Xavier Wood, Jay Lethal, and Naito, 
So yeah, the list the list goes on and on, but that was really good, I thought, as well. Um, some of your negatives then, Alex. Yeah. Um, oh, boy. The, just the overall gimmick of this show. Cage match after cage match. Just, it's really grating and it just, it means nothing. By the end of this show, like, you... You're so used to the cage that it might as well not be there. Like, it just becomes a non-factor in your eyes. You're just, like, so used to it. It's just, like, what's the point in it being there? Yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. The um, all-cage event, like, by three matches in, it was overused and pretty much killed the gimmick for the rest of the night. The rules being different in each match and the commentators not rang them down during the entrance sometimes, not until halfway through the match, so it was a bit confusing. Yeah. And I thought most of the matches would be improved without having a cage, like the the junior heavyweight tag match could have been improved without having a cage. Yeah, you've got a freaking street fight steel cage match. How does that even make sense? The door is unlocked. Yeah, like, yeah, you have the first team to get into the ring wins. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, anything else? You know, like, the Doomsday Chamber of Blood match, that gimmick. You have to make your opponent bleed before you can pin him. Bit convoluted. Escape match is a bit convoluted. Um, oh, the X Division one where it's pinfall or submission and then have to escape? Yeah, it's a bit convoluted. Um, but overall... Like, the in-ring quality is there. You're just overbooking this whole thing. It's just a victim of, like, trying too hard, but overbooking too many stipulations, all that sort of stuff. Like, if this whole card didn't have a single cage match, would have been perfect. It would have been a really good show. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. Um, the negatives for myself, running down a pay-per-view 30 minutes into the show... Why bother? You're just saying the first three matches of your show don't matter. Yeah, definitely. The TNA split screen they used at points was two small screens on the left-hand side and then a giant red background on the right-hand side with a TNA logo in the centre. Yeah. Why bother? It's too small to see anything unless I'm (laughs) right up against there. And I think at one point they had a six-split MIDI screen. Yeah, just... It just sums up the overbooking of this entire show. Then, you've already mentioned it, stereotypical Asian font and flute music. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, As a man of Asian descent myself, I found it quite... I didn't really find it as offensive as I did find it just lazy, to be honest. Like, the TNA... Um, championship graphic has like block letters with bold red writing yeah and then the iwgp championship graphic has asian font with like small red writing yeah like um uh, well like your stereotypical chinese (laughs) restaurant menu sort of font yeah it's it's just it's 
they were just one dragon away from like going full stereotype with the whole thing. It's the same font that WWE uses for Shinsuke Nakamura's entrance. Yeah. I guess the bonus here is that this is 2009. WWE is doing it in 2020. Yeah. Overall, what do you rank this show? I think I'm going to admit guilt. Rose-coloured glasses. I was very nostalgic for this whole thing. Um, I'll give. I'm going to give it three and a quarter beers. Oh wow! Yeah, it's just from a time where I sort of fell in love with TNA, and yeah, I, I understand. I was probably more negative than anything, like during my review. But overall, I actually really enjoyed just taking a little look back at this particular time period. Before it became a coffin on roller skates. So I I gave this two beers. Whilst there was some positives and some outstanding matches, I felt, yeah, just the overall cage event gimmick just killed it by the third match for me. And by the fourth match, it sort of became dragging at points. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a match of the night named? Yeah, I think we're both probably going to be in agreement on this one. It was the Team 3D versus Beard Money, uh, RWGP versus TNA tag title match. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree there. I think it was helped a lot by the fact they did leave the cage <laughs> for a while and then came back and brought around the outside before getting back in the cage. Yeah, definitely. I will have to say I'm going to give an honourable mention to the Knockouts title match and very close honourable mention to the Lethal Lockdown match. Yeah, I... I don't think you were as high on the Knockouts title match as I was. For for what it was, it was good. They were smart in how they eliminated Kong from that match by tying her hair. The main reason, I I loved it. (laughs) That's just like... I loved that, um, especially because of how it fits in with the beautiful people's character and like at the time, like the beautiful people were like walking around like like beating beating up jobbers and like cutting their hair and stuff like that. It sort of fit. I really enjoyed junior heavyweight tag match as well, so I'm going to give that one an honourable mention with the guns. LAX and No Limit. Yeah, yeah, that was very good too. Uh, yeah, shame on me for not giving that an honourable mention as well. Yeah, there's very good... There are some really good matches on this card. They've just overbooked themselves. And you got to remember sometimes, keep it simple, stupid. I can't stress it enough. If this entire pay-per-view didn't have a single like stipulation or gimmick to the match to any matches, it would have been perfect. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree there. The fact you've got gimmicks on top of gimmicks, you've got a still cage street fight, you've got a still cage first blood match, you've got a still cage tornado tag match, you've got a still cage elimination escape match. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, it's gimmick on gimmick on gimmick. It's just insane. Overall, yeah, this was really fun to go back, have a look at TNA before the Hogan-Bischoff era when I sort of started watching. Like, from about 06, 07 to about 09, TNA's firing on all cylinders. We're getting close towards the end of that, but um, I'm definitely very nostalgic for TNA during this time period, and 
Yes, so much to the point that um, I can proudly publicly announce that I am now a paying customer of Impact Plus. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so um, you better hope I don't have to pick too many more reviews anytime soon. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, so I suppose is there anything like from around this time, you did mention the Best of Seven series. Is there anything else sort of standout-ish for a new fan of TNA to sort of go back and watch that you'd recommend? Yeah, um, around this time period, I think it might be the next month's pay-per-view, maybe the month after, Kurt Angle has a match with Matt Morgan. Doesn't sound very impressive on paper, but it is, like, amazing. It's a really good Matt Morgan match. Um there's some hidden gems from this time period. There's also like AJ Styles and Kurt Angle around this time period. AJ Styles and Sting, like AJ was on another level at this point. There's lots of really good in-ring stuff going on at this time. This was a period in Samoa Joe's career where they are uh, painting him with the brush of um, being a bit lazy at this time. So he wasn't particularly tearing it up at this time, but AJ was doing some good stuff. Um, Hernandez becomes a breakthrough with, around this time as well. Um, this is just a really forgotten time where Matt Morgan and Hernandez were going to be the next top guys in TNA, but it never happened. Oh, wow. Who was... You might know this. Remember there was a story where a WWE wrestler went to the Impact Zone and then was shown on... Uh, in the crowd, do you remember who that was? Uh, it was either Robbie or Rory from the Highlanders, the tag team. And what happened to him? Yeah, he ended up... Did he get fired or he got suspended? I can't remember. But yeah, TNA decided to show him in the crowd because he'd gone there to see his mates or whatever. TNA showed him on Impact and... Catch you later, buddy. Whoops. Yeah, he was out of a job not long after that. Britt got shown on NXT when Adam Cole was in a match. Yeah, and they kept showing her too. Like, it wasn't just like a one-time thing. It was a... They kept going back to her. Oh, well. She didn't get in any trouble over that, so I guess times have changed. They realise people have partners and friends in other promotions as long as they're not physically getting involved in the show, they won't be in trouble too much. Well, I think the, um, the difference there is that it was a non-WWE person being shown in a WWE crowd. If, say, it was Adam Cole being shown at AEW supporting Brit, I think the story might be a bit different. Vince? Vince would not be happy. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well. Um, yeah, so I suppose... We should let the humans know what's coming up on the schedule for this week. Yeah, um, we're going to talk a bit of the week's wrestling. The week's wrestling. <laughs> yes, another another edition of the weekly wrestling wrap on Thursday. Uh, talking all things from AEW Dark through to Raw Impact. A little bit of whatever else is going on in the world. Not a lot of indies going on at the moment. No, no, but um, rumour has it that that might be getting close to a change. Yes, that'd be exciting. On the 22nd, we will have the third edition of Fruity's Ultimate Game Show. 
Yeah, very exciting stuff coming up. Oh, man. Oh, how are you going writing your next episode of the show? I've got two locked in, provided nothing changes. Very good, very good. I am... I'm very keen to just keep this train moving, man. <laughs> You're just trying to get to 83 weeks before me. <laughs> man, uh, I, I can't express enough, like, how excited I am just, like, with this fantasy thing. It's such a stupid, like, geeky, nerdy thing, but it brings me so much happiness. It's just, like, the creative outlet it gives me, it's... Definitely uh, my highlight every couple of weeks. I suppose it's a good help for you considering at the moment we just watched lockdown, but you're still in lockdown. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yes, doing things like writing fantasy wrestling shows has been, yeah, pretty much a break of my, my um, insanity I'm going into over here. <laughs> and then next Tuesday... We'll be back for WCW Saturday night, January 30th, 1993. Yeah, so, um, have you watched this yet, Chris? Uh, no, I'll be watching this once I log off for the day, I suppose. Um, so, not long ago, just to give a quick explanation as to why we are doing this show... I decided to go into the network and watch WCW Saturday nights, all of them that are on the network. I fall onto this particular episode, and it is the weirdest episode of wrestling I've ever seen. There's two particular segments in in, very, in particular that are just like just mind blowing. Like if I told you right now what happens, you wouldn't believe me. Oh, jeez. Yeah, look forward to that. Well, with that being said, give us a, a follow on Twitter, a like on Facebook, let us know what you think of the show, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye, humans. Toodles!